Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Now here's Father Ted. We heard today from one of the more beautiful and memorable passages of Paul's epistles, the 13th chapter of his first letter to the Corinthians. It's the famous canticle of love or a song of love, a hymn of love. The word love is mentioned 21 times in just 13 verses. Something that you often hear in the celebration of marriages. From the very beginning, St. Paul is telling us how essential this virtue is and that's why he's dedicating so much time to talking about this virtue. He talks about how nothing is of any value without it. I am nothing and I have nothing. I am nothing and I have nothing if I don't have love. Anything I do, as great as it might be, even if I were to you know, lay down my life in martyrdom, even if I were to give up my life, you know, take a bullet for somebody or sacrifice my life, even if I was to do the greatest thing a human person could do, if I don't do it because of love, if I'm not motivated by love, it's worthless, it's useless, it has no value. Love is something which is so central, first and foremost, because God is love. Our lives have to be centered upon Him. From Him we came and to Him we return. Saint Mother Teresa of Calcutta also mentions, she also says that we were created because of love and for love. We were created to love and to be loved. We were created to give love and to receive love. That's why we exist, she says. And John Paul II, John Paul the Great, mentioned this over and over again in all of his writings during his papacy. In his very first encyclical, Redemptoris Hominis, he talked, he said, man cannot live without love. He remains a being which is incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless if love is not revealed to him, if he does not encounter love, if he does not experience love and make it his own, if he does not participate intimately in it. Love, he says in the, he wrote a letter also about the family, um, an apostolic exhortation, and he said, we have many vocations in life, some people to priesthood, some people to religious life, some people to be spouses, you know, everybody's got their own calling. But he said the universal vocation, the vocation that everybody has, the fundamental call from God is to love. And everything else is just a question of, okay, how do I love? Do I love as a spouse? Do I love as a priest? Do I love as religious? We gotta specify it. But that is at the heart of every person's vocation. But what's the meaning? behind that little word love, because it's often pointed out that this is arguably the most abused word in the English language. It's the word which has so many different uh, definitions and is used in so many different ways, and there's so many different concepts of it. There was one public speaker who went through like the lyrics of songs, and he was looking at, okay, so if you were going to listen to what music says about love, what would you learn? Like, what, would, what does common culture, popular culture, tell us about love? You know, it tells us that love is in the air. So love is something that's like, you know, environmental. Or love stinks. That's another thing that songs tell us about love and so on and so forth. But what it actually is love? Like what does St. Paul mean? What does the Bible mean when it talks about love? 
And St. Thomas Aquinas, he can give us a hand here. He tells us that to love is to will the good of the other person uh, as other. That's an important addition. I'm hoping for, I am seeking rather, I'm working to achieve good in the other person for the sake of the other person. Because sometimes we can seek the good of the other person for our own sake. For example, a spouse might hope that their you know, husband or wife gets a promotion so that they get more money to spend. That's not what love is about. Or a high school student could volunteer heroically on the weekends, doing good for other people, bringing good into other people's lives so that his college applications look better. So you're doing good for others, but for your own sake. That's the ultimate goal. But that's not what love is about. It's seeking the good of the other, willing good for the other for their own sake, not for our own sake. So that's like the abstract definition, but you can ask, you know, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to seek the good of the other as another? And this is where the second reading really comes in handy, because St. Paul here is going to give us a long list of the qualities or the traits of love, 15 in total actually, seven of which are positive, eight are negative. So he says love is this seven times and love is not this eight times. In the Greek, it's actually, there's a, it's interesting because every time he um, refers to one of these characters or qualities of love, he uses a verb. In English, we use adjectives. Love is patient, that's an adjective, patient. Love is kind, that's another adjective. But in the Greek, patient and kind are actually verbs. They're action words. The thing is, you just can't render it that way in English. You know, we don't say love patiences, or love does patience, or love kinds. Love does not jealous. No, it, we, we say is not jealous, is kind, is patient. But the reason I bring this up is because Paul is here implicitly reminding us that love is something we do. Love is active. Love is, needs to be manifested in deeds. It should be proven through what we do. It's not just like a feeling. It's not just some passive reception of an emotional state. It's an action. It's a choice. I choose to love. Love doesn't hit me, but rather I act in love. I do deeds of love. As Saint Jose Maria Escrivá said, don't confuse your love with sentimentality. We're not talking about sentimentality today. We're talking about love. So what are a few of these things? What are the few of the qualities, the characteristics of love that St. Paul brings up here? The very first one he mentions is that love is patient. And when he says that, he doesn't just mean this um, equanimity when annoyed by inconveniences, the kind of you know, disposition that you're supposed to have in a checkout line at the grocery store or at the TSA airport security clearance or when there's an aggressive driver on the road, it's not just maintaining calm in the midst of annoyances. But in the Bible, patience refers to long suffering, enduring for an extended period of time some sort of arduous trial, and enduring it without getting angry and without seeking retaliation. It is the attitude 
that we see in Jesus Christ in the Passion. So, yes, it, al it also can refer to the little annoyances, but first, he's talking about something bigger. He's talking about not brooding over injury, as he'll say later. So it's patient. It's also kind. Not just courtesy or manners, but really the giving of what is best in us to others. It is the disposition to do good for others. Love is not jealous. If you love, you're not going to be jealous of the other person. If I love you, I'm not going to be jealous of you. And why is that the case? Because jealousy is when I see your good, your advantage, your success as detrimental, as harmful, as something which I don't like the fact that you got ahead. I am saddened because of your good. So that's the opposite of the definition of love. Love is when I seek to bring good into your life, and I rejoice in that love. I rejoice in that good thing that you have. Jealousy is the opposite. It's when I get sad because you got something good. And in fact, it's impossible for there to be jealousy if there is true love, because love unites. Love brings together. Love is something that makes the two individuals into one. And so if the two are one, I can't see the other person as somebody else, but rather they are undividably united to me. What is their good is actually good for me. Their success, their promotion, their advantage is something which is actually my success, my advantage, my promotion. It's like on a team. When there's a, one of your teammates, they score a touchdown. Yeah, they got six points, maybe we can say. They got the stat. But the team is up six points. It's not as if this individual gets six points. The team gets six points because we are one in that team. And when there's real love, that's how we feel about other people's success. Love does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. And this is one which is, we're very often falling into. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing we very often are rejoicing in wrongdoing. Many of us are guilty of, of this. A person who loves does not celebrate somebody else's failures. You can just imagine at an office, right, somebody got fired and they're walking out the door with like their box of stuff and you pop a bottle of champagne. That's what this is talking about. Love doesn't do that. But we so often do it in more subtle ways. That's what gossip is built on. We are rejoicing, we're drinking in, we're delighting in the wrongdoing of somebody else, especially their moral wrongdoing. You know, their whole businesses in this country built around this practice. Some newspapers have gossip columns. The tabloids are always just like trying to dig up dirt on celebrities that we want to see how they failed, how they're addicted to this substance now, how their marriage is falling apart. They make a lot of money too or even in religious circles, on religious Catholic blogs. They love ripping into other Catholics. Always this group of Catholics is tearing down that group of Catholics. They're always trying to point out, oh, they did this wrong, or this member of this clique over here did this thing wrong. And they just, there's all that infighting, all that rejoicing over the failure of somebody else. But that's not what love does. Now, in all these manifestations, you could go down the list, but in all these manifestations, we could be left maybe asking ourselves a question, uh, where's God? Because when you think about these things that St. Paul is talking about here, they, they don't seem to do much to do with God, the Almighty. Like, when is the last time you were jealous of your creator? Like, oh, I just wish I could make the world. Like, 
or you had to practice patience with God. Maybe we can say in prayer in an analogous way we do, but you know, I, you don't often say, I was kind to God this morning. So like, why is Paul talking so much about this love for our neighbor, but not love for God? Because you know, love for God should be the more important of the two. It's the first of the two great commandments. The love of neighbor depends upon the love of God. And there's a few, you know, quick and easy answers to this. I mean, one of the reasons why is that, well, St. Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and in Corinth, there was a lot of infighting. Like, the Corinthians had down the love of God. They had an authentic love of God, but they didn't really get along with each other. That's one reason. Another reason maybe why Paul is doing this is because he doesn't want to make this distinction. He doesn't want to make this, or opposition, rather, as if you had to choose love of God or love of neighbor. But rather... Every time you love your neighbor, you're actually loving God. What you do to the least of these, your brethren, you do unto me. So that's another quick and easy answer. The third comes from our Catholic tradition. Because, well, in Scripture it says that when you have a love of neighbor, God abides in you and his love is perfected in you. When you love your neighbor, rather, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Our love is perfected when we have a love of neighbor. And Jesus himself explains this verse to St. Catherine of Siena. She had a number of revelations of Jesus Christ, and in one of them, he's basically telling her why it's so important to love her neighbor. It's actually kind of a long quote, but it's a, it's a beautiful one. She's a doctor of the church from the 14th century, Dominican nun. Our Lord said to her, I ask you to love me with the same love with which I love you. But you cannot do this for me, because I loved you without being loved. Whatever love you have for me, you owe me. So you love me not gratuitously, but out of duty while I love you, not out of duty, but, gratu but gratuitously. So you cannot give me the kind of love I ask of you. This is why I have put you among your neighbors, so that you can do for them what you cannot do for me. That is, love them without any concern for thanks and without looking for any profit for yourself. The perfection of love is loving like Jesus. How does Jesus love? Jesus loves people that don't deserve and that, don't, that haven't earned it. We want to love God like that, but we can't because God has already earned our love. He deserves our love already. So how is it possible to love as God loves if we can't love God the way that God loves us? Well, we got our neighbors. We got our family members. We got our friends. We got our coworkers who have not necessarily earned our love. We don't owe them love necessarily. And so our Lord says, by loving them, your love will be perfected because you'll be loving them the way that I love you, gratuitously. So to conclude, I just want to maybe encourage you to read the 13th chapter of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians this week. Open up your Bibles to that particular passage. It's not very long, only 13 verses in total. When you're doing so, it could be helpful maybe to pray creatively with it. Um, one way to pray with this verse, with these passages, with this passage, is to take out the word love and replace it with the word Jesus. 
and you end up actually getting a very beautiful reflection, a very beautiful portrait of Jesus Christ. Jesus is kind. Jesus is patient. Jesus is not jealous. If I lay down my life, but I have not Jesus, I have nothing. So on and so forth. And so it's a beautiful prayer. The other way you could pray with it is to take out the word love and to replace it with your name. And you get a very strict examination of conscience. Because sometimes you can go through the Ten Commandments and you can walk away thinking, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't killed anybody lately. I haven't, you know, committed adultery. I haven't robbed any banks. I haven't worshipped any cows either. So, you know, we're, we're in the clear. But then, when you do an examination of conscience based upon 1 Corinthians 13, you might hit a few more speed bumps. Ted is kind. <laughs> Depends with who. Ted is patient. Depends on how he woke up that morning. So on and so forth. Of all the people on the face of the earth, our Blessed Virgin Mary was the one who loved our Lord more than any other, and she loves us to a very exemplary degree. And so we ask that her loving prayers for us might help us to practice and to manifest this supreme virtue with all of our neighbors.